Everybody say hope for today. And in a moment, you're going to get two reflections of what hope is, should be, looks like, and what the world needs. Amen? And I said two reflections because you're going to get the illustrious, amazingly eloquent, and beautiful Minister Belinda Hernandez-Aponte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. I didn't stay sitting down so I can get, you know, <laughs> announced in that fashion. It's just a little awkward to stand up here when you have nothing to say the first few minutes, you know. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. But I must um, share, you know, and agree with Tony with um, the awesome um, worship that we had just um, a few minutes ago. The Lord is powerful and in this place. Amen. And it showed me today that many of us in this place know that hope is alive amen because if we know that hope is alive that is the reason why we worship and praise and glorify god no matter what's happening around us amen or in our lives in particular hallelujah but my hope today is that if you uh do not know that that hope is still alive that hope is still within us accessible to us that you would leave this place today with that hope awakened within you amen Hope alive today. I started thinking about that, and I said, I wonder if some people would think of it as a question. You know, is hope alive today? Or would some people make a statement and say hope is alive today? Amen? I make the statement, hope is alive today. Hallelujah. And when preparing for, for um, today, I asked myself um, this question. I said, okay, there's hope and there's faith. What is the difference between hope and faith? And so I went digging a little bit, and I think that it's important for us to understand that hope and faith must work hand in hand, amen, in order to see the results we are looking for in our lives and in the lives of those we love and in the ones that we want to reach out to, amen. So today I want to take you through a journey of answering the following three questions, amen. The first one, what is the difference between hope and faith? Second, how do we hope in things we do not see? How is that even possible? And how do we put hope into action? Amen? Hebrew 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, what is the difference then between hope and faith? I found this um, definition for it, and I thought it was powerful. It says, Hope is a dream of something that is either wanted or needed. But faith is what turns that dream into a substance or into a reality. Amen? Get that? The faith. It's faith that turns that hope that is within us, that dream that we have, into a reality. Without hope, there is nothing for faith to create a substance from. Amen? So this is how faith works with hope. And without faith, hope is nothing more than just a powerless dream. It is not attainable without faith. Amen? So hope is a dream we have, but it doesn't become real until we ourselves speak it into existence. I want to give you an example, and then we're going to come back to it after with a more detailed explanation of it. But let's say we, we're waiting for a job, waiting for a new position, or we're waiting for something completely new to come our way, um, and you know we, inter we interview for it, we know we're skilled for it, but in our minds, a lot of us, we say, I hope I get it. 
well, we shall see if it comes to me. Um, you know, so it's our dream, our desire to get that job. But the hope is something that we do not see, right? Hope is something we can't see. However, it doesn't actually become tangible. See, it has to become tangible until we declare it that it's ours. That's how we put faith into action, declaring something that is ours. How do we have hope in something that we do not see? This is where faith comes in. Amen? So remember, I'm going to come back to that analogy with a deeper explanation. But I want to go into faith for a minute. Hebrew 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And jump down a little bit. Um, Hebrew 11.3 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, let's explain this. The scripture doesn't say that there was nothing there. It was nothing there to begin with. It only says that we couldn't see it. But by God's faith and by his word, he formed what couldn't be seen to us or what we couldn't see. The worlds, he formed the worlds, and he made it visible to us. Amen? Now, when God formed us, this is important. When God formed us, he did so in his own image. This is what the word of God says and tells me. But God was not referring to his physical image. See, a lot of times we tend to think, oh, we must look like God. But God is a spirit. We don't look like him. But, however, this doesn't mean that everything he can do, I mean, this means that everything he can do, we can do as well. Because that's how he created us. Amen? He formed us. He formed us with the same creative powers that he has. That might sound unusual. But listen, this is how hope is possible. Because he placed it within us. See, he, he gave us hope. He gave us the, 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 the right to dream and to want to achieve and to attain things in our life. And in our walk with God and in our, our secular lives. Amen? And with our family and our home. He gave us that hope, <clears throat> that right to hope, because he placed it within us. He gave us the power to dream of things we cannot see, and then the power to speak them into existence through faith. But not by actually creating things, because I don't want you guys to get confused. It's not by actually creating things that are, you know, out of the thin air. It's not that we create them. It's that through the knowledge that God has already made it possible, so we have to have that knowledge. We have to grasp it, understand it, that God has already made everything possible for us. Amen? From the beginning of time, we all needed or wanted, all we needed and wanted was already here for us to attain. However, it is up to us to declare it, to proclaim it for our lives and for the lives of others. It is unto us. God has given us that responsibility. He's given us that power to do that. To speak things into existence. The book of John chapter 14 verse 1 through 14 says. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me. Will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things. Than these. Because I am going to the father. And I, have, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the son may bring glory to the father. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Amen. And it's awesome because Natalie, you know, touched a little bit on that today while she was um, uh, uh, um, exerting us today. Amen. In worship, how the Lord is willing to give us all that we ask for. All we have to do is ask for it. Amen. He's giving us that responsibility. 
it's there, it's reachable, it's, you know, we can grasp it with our own hands, but it's up to us to declare it. It's up to us to speak it into, into life with our words. Amen? Hallelujah. So how is it that we put hope into action? We've been talking about that. But let's go back to that job analogy um, that I shared with you earlier. Amen? When facing a similar situation, <clears throat> amen, whether we're reaching to get a new job or whether we're hoping to see one of our loved ones come to Christ or we're in a situation that we're, you know, hoping to get out of that some resolve will come to us, amen, to get us out, this is how we should be praying. Instead of saying, God, get me out of it. God, you know, you are my provider. Give it to me. Let, you know, let it happen for me. Yes, but change it just a little bit. Change it just a little bit. Pray with the hope he's given you and put the action, I mean the faith, into action by saying, God, it is mine. I declare it for my life today. That job will be mine because you have already given it to me. See, sometimes we tend to pray sort of like with, with a little bit of fear, you know, like, oh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. That's not how God designed us to be. That's not how God created us to come before his presence. No, he gave us the power to declare things into our lives, to declare that we would be successful in our lives, to declare that our children will be sex successful in their lives, to declare that God has them in their hands and that they will be powerful preachers and ministers and leaders of God's kingdom, that they will attain, you know, their college degrees and go and be successful even out in the world and have, you know, um, an impression upon this world. Can you imagine if our children who have the Lord, who, you know, know who God is and has that hope and faith, go out and become these people with influence? God would be all over our world and our communities and our societies, amen? And this is the type of um, hope that we have for ourselves, for our children, for our communities, for our family, loved ones. You know, we have people that we're, that we're asking God to bring to Christ. Well, you know what? Start telling him, God, I see them in your walk. Declare their lives. Tell them how you, tell God how you want to see them living in, the, in his kingdom. Start declaring that in their lives for them. They may not be able to do it because they, their hope has not been awakened within them. But you know that hope and you can speak it into their lives. And you can tell the Lord, Lord, I want to see my children. I will see, I'm sorry, I will see my children walking in your faith. I will see him as a minister of God. I will see her as a worshiper for God's glory. I will see her dancing your praises and your songs. You know, this is how God wants us to be. This is putting action, faith into action. Amen. Not just keeping a dream quiet within our hearts, a dream that can't be, you know, that nothing can happen with it unless we make it have substance by putting our faith into action. Amen. Hallelujah. And I want to share with you today, there's many stories that we could talk about in the Bible. See, I like to refer a lot to the Bible because that is our, you know, our map, our guide. But there's two stories that I like to share with you. One, with someone who didn't have a lot of hope and lost it, forfeited, really. And another who put that hope into such action that God did mir miraculous things. Amen. And the first person I want to share with you, oh, the story of, is um, Saul. Samuel, it's found in Samuel 28. I'm going to refer to Samuel 28 and a little bit of Samuel 31. And I'm putting hope into action right now because I am going to put my faith into action, I should say, and remember the stories by, by, by heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Saul was a king, a man of Israel. Um, and unfortunately, Saul never had a close relationship with God. He was always very easily swayed into other beliefs, into, you know, serving other gods. And God would always have to correct him. 
Amen. So his hope, what I see, you know, while you read his story, his hope is never really awakened to putting faith into action. Amen. And he kind of always let, let it sleep within him. And in the last war, the last battle that he faced in his life against the, um, the Philistines, amen, the Philistines had um, gathered their forces to come against the people of Israel. And he had to go and fight this war. And he wasn't sure, like, what was going to happen. He saw the army. They set up camp. He saw their army, the Philistines' army, and he became afraid. He was fearful for his life and f for all around him, amen. And his hope was so depleted that he even went to the extreme of, co of consulting um, a, medium, a, a medium person, amen? Someone who the Lord, you know, God does not see f right with that, amen? He does not see will with that. It's an abomination to him, amen? And he went to that extreme because that's how dead his hope was, that he couldn't trust in God. And his life, you know, his destiny had already been foretold because that's the way he lived his life, with a depleted um, um, hope, amen? No faith in action. So he went into this war. And unfortunately, his sons were, were killed by the Philistines. He was beat up. His armor bearer was beat up. And it got to the point where he became so afraid that his enemies would take him over and do even more worse and do worse to him that he told his armor bearer. He looked to his armor bearer. I, I'm thinking, I, I think this. Uh, he looked to his armor bearer for hope. Something, you know, give me something. And, and, and looking to him and probably seeing his fear, all he could think of was, you know what, just take my life. Take it for me because we're dead. We're done. There's no way we're getting out of this. Kill me. And looking for that hope, if his armor bearer would have been the person filled with hope as well, he would have told him, no, my king, I'm going to serve next to you. We're going to continue to fight until whatever happens. You know, whether we live or die together, I will continue fighting by your side. Let's not give up. But that wasn't his armor bearer's um, vision or focus either. His hope was also completely gone. And he was afraid to take his king's life, to honor him by, you know, taking his life. That Saul had to do it for himself. And his hope right there was completely shut down. I mean, it was, it, it was gone. There was nothing there. And the armor bearer did the same. Now, do we want to be that armor bearer? That when our family members or when our community come to us, that we respond in a fearful manner because our hope is dead? No, let's awaken our hope, understand today that it is ours, that God has given it to us, and we can declare life into their situations, that we can declare hope for their lives and let them know and share with them, hey, this is what God has done for me. This is what God can do for you. Amen? Like the prophet Elisha. That was the type of hope and faith he had. Amen? In one of um, the stories that, that, um, has to, that pertains to him, um, is the one, this is the one I want to focus on in 2 Kings um, chapter 6. Again, there was a war going on. The king of Aram, if I say that right, was at war with Israel. Amen? And he kept plotting. Look, we're going to set up camp in this place, and this is where we're going to come at them um, from this angle. And then they would try it, but already the Israels were, had already been warned. Uh-uh, don't go set up camp over there because there's truly, they're truly going to you know, get you. And he was doing, God was doing this through Elijah. Elijah was letting know the Israel, the people of Israel, they're setting camp here. Don't go there. And this happened several times. And then the king is saying, wait a minute. I must have a spy within my army because somebody is letting these people know where we're going and how is this possible? And finally, somebody said, no, it's not that you have a spy, my king. It's that, it's that prophet Elijah that is within Israel right now. He is letting them know what you're saying in your bedroom in hiding. He's letting the people of Israel know. How's that possible? 
God in him. Amen. He would listen to the word of God. He would listen to the voice of God. He would hear it and then, you know, give the warning to the people. Amen. So what happened? The king said, oh, that's what's happening. Then I want you guys to go over to where he is. They discovered where he was staying. And I want you to go and surrender the city and take him over. And I'm going to put him in a place where he'll never be able to talk to anybody ever again. Amen. Okay, my king. And I'm, you know, paraphrasing a little bit. Um, But so they went forth and they surrounded the city at night. And in the morning, Elijah's servant walks out to, you know, probably to take care of his duties in the morning. And he saw the army surrounding their, um, their city. He ran back in fearful, afraid, because he thought, surely we are dead right now. Because there's too many of them and too little bit of us. Two of them, and in the city, apparently, um, weren't too many people that lived there. So he ran into Elijah, 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 what are we going to do? The city is surrounded by the army. Where are we, you know, where are we going to take refuge? What can we possibly do? And Elijah told him, be still, remain calm, because I'll tell you what, greater is he that is with us than with that army. And Elijah, and, and the servants, you know, must have said to him, so what is he talking about? I just told him that the army that's out there is our enemy. It's not the one fighting for us. It's our enemy. And Elijah told him, be still, because greater is he that's with us. And what did Elijah do? He put his faith into action. He took that hope that God has given him and put it into action through faith. And he said, Lord, right now, open up his eyes. And when he told the Lord to open up his servant's eyes, I believe that hope was awakened within him. Remember, hope is in us. It has to be awakened. We have to awaken it, amen? And at that moment, his hope was awakened. And he looked, and he saw chariots and horses of fire all around them, and camping all around them. And then Elijah went to a greater extent, and I said, Lord, you said we do greater things than you. And if he did that, and you did greater things, imagine what we could do if we actually really believed that faith you know, is, is powerful and exists in our lives today. Amen. Because he said, Lord, I'm asking you right now, you blind all of them, blind the entire army that they cannot see who they're looking at, who they, you know, who they're talking to or where they're going. And the Lord did it. The army became blind and they had no idea where they were. And he, <laughs> and he told them, he told them, um, come with me, follow me. I'll take you where you need to work. Go. I'll take you to the person you're looking for. And what did he do? He walked them right into the kingdom uh, Jeroboam, Jer- I think it was. I can't remember the king, the name of the king, but they, he walked them right into the kingdom. Uh, or, or yes, the kingdom of the king that was um, in place at the moment. And <laughs> then when he got there inside the kingdom, all the army is sit, is now standing before the king that they're trying to fight against, the, the king of Israel. And he tells them, "Lord, open up their eyes." And when they opened their eyes, how ashamed they must have felt to see that they were captured without even a fight, <laughs> that they allowed themselves to be guided right into the hands of the Israelites without a fight. Amen. The God is amazing. And that's the type of things that God can do for us still today. But it's up to us. We have to declare. We have to tell the Lord, Lord, I believe that this can happen today. And it's going to happen for me or for my family or for my, 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 um, my community, my church. Amen. We can do greater things because Christ said it than he would. Amen. So I leave you with this to ponder. Is hope alive in our world today? And does the world understand what hope is or what it can do? And with that, I'll give it to my husband. Praise God.
There's nothing like a man of God who understands who God is in his life. Amen. Because he wasn't boasting about himself. He knew who God was. He knew he was where he needed to be. He knew that God had sent him and that God was using him right where he was. And God would not forsake him. So even before he got out of the tent, he said, there's more of us than them, dude. You don't know what's going on just yet. Praise God. Can we, can, can we wake up and begin to understand who God really is in our lives? Because we'd be a lot more courageous. We'd be a lot more daring. We'd be a lot more brave. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. We as born again believers use the word hope in a variety of ways, don't we? Right? We, we, we say things like, um, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or if you're like me, you, you walk out in the morning and you say, oh man, I hope my car starts today. <laughs> right? Stick the key in and there's just that moment of, okay, Lord. Right? Are you guilty of that kind of thing? I hope the boss sees that I'm busting my hump today because I could really use a raise. Oh, okay, I know somebody's here, somebody here has said that before. Right? Guilty? Raise your hand if you're guilty of some of that. Amen. Um, it's interesting to think about the way we as a, a society use the word hope. The word hope can mean many different things depending on the situation that you're in. Um, to those who are comfortable and who are in no immediate danger, the word hope can mean a thing where we want to gratify ourselves with things and physical objects, right? Man, I hope I can get that brand new Durango this year. Or the fanatical uh, football father, um, hopes that he will see that 60-inch flat-screen Samsung HD LCD <laughs> television with the $2,000 Bose system, right? So that their butt can rumble in the middle of a game, right? Please let that be under the tree this year. Or the, or the lovely housewife who, who just hopes that she'll get anything with diamonds in it for Mother's Day. Amen? I got your back, ladies. I caught some flack for the last one, but I got your back this time. Um, <clears throat> the graduating teenager. Oh, man, what I'd love. I, I hope I get that Mustang, that Ford Mustang with the fire. Not in my house. Be lucky if you get a Toyota Corolla. Usado. So I started to think about what I would feel like if I had absolutely no hope. Right? So let, let, me, let me play somebody else's advocate. I'm not going to glorify him. But let's look at the flip side for a moment. I started to think what complete hopelessness would manifest itself like in my life if I was completely destitute of hope right we've we've discussed obviously uh, Belinda came up and talked about how we as believers in Christ have a hope we have God's promises who by the way cannot lie we have God's promises to back us up eternally 
He's not going to leave us hanging out to dry, ever. Amen? All right. Now, in thinking about that, I thought that the ultimate helplessness or hopelessness or absence of hope, I realized that that would probably lead me to the point of suicide, much like in the story of Saul. Right? And by the way, with the story of Saul, on the flip side of that, you can look at Samson. See, if Saul, even at that last day, over a lifespan of messing up with God, had even at the last moment said, you know what, I repent, I turn myself, and I give this last moment to you, God, show yourself mighty, I believe God would have done it, much like Samson. Because Samson blew it constantly, but at that last moment when his eyes had been plucked out and he was standing between two pillars, if you know the story, I apologize to those of you who don't, But even at that last moment, God sent that anointing to him that God would prove himself as the true and one living God to those Philistines of that day, right? Poor Saul didn't really realize who God was. I began to look up suicide. I began to look up some statistical information. Suicide takes the lives of nearly 30,000 Americans every year. It's a big number, man. There are twice as many deaths due to suicide than HIV and AIDS. Between 1952 and 1995, suicide in young adults nearly tripled. Now, is that evidence of an absence of hope? I think so. Over half of all suicides occur in adult men between the ages of 25 and 65. For young people 15 to 24 years old, suicide is the third leading cause of death. Wow. By 2010, I think this this, um, study was done in 2004, by 2010, depression will be the number one disability in the world. Is that crazy? Depression. The number one affliction in the world or disability. Suicide is the 11th leading cause to death in the U.S. Homicide is the 15th. Suicide is the third leading leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-old Americans. An average of one person dies by suicide every 16 minutes. Every 16 minutes. As a matter of fact, in 2004, it's estimated that there were over 811 thousand suicide attempts in the U.S. alone. 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 Just the U.S. We realize how many other nations and countries and are, are in the world, right? That's just... The, and we got it good in this country compared to third world nations. Staggering. Amazing. As a Christian who knows and has been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, the champion of our souls, the one who holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, what does that make you feel like? What's running through your mind about those statistics? I mean, to my opinion, suicide would be the ultimate absence of hope, as outlined by the story of Saul, right? Now, you know, there there are some, you know, middle spots, you know. 
There are things people do out of hopelessness. But as Christians, we need to understand that we are the ones that need to get involved. Let me, let me, let me tell you what your competition is. All right, this is what you're up against. Are you listening? Say, I'm listening. Say, I'm paying attention right now. This is important. Okay, you can stop repeating now. <laughs> this is important. This is what you're up against. Just yesterday in Reuters, Reuters is the uh, British newscast, um, there was a title that says, Suicide Kit Maker, 93 years old, guilty of U.S. tax offense. That caught my eye. What the heck is that about? Um, this is uh, San Diego, December 3rd, 2011. A great-grandmother who sold suicide kits from her home in California pleaded guilty on Friday to a misdemeanor tax-related offense stemming from excuse me, an investigation of her mail-order business. Charlotte Heidorn, 93, a retired public school science teacher, admitted she failed to file federal income tax returns from 2007 to 2010. I'm reading about tax returns. Why? Is, is anybody else disturbed by this? Heidorn, whose San Diego area house was raided by federal agents in May, has said her exit kits, this is what they were called, were intended to help terminally ill, terminally ill people and end their lives with dignity. Lord Jesus. Prosecutors said she sold, more, sold about 1,300 of the kits during the four years in question, but agreed to stop making or selling them as part of her plea deal. The kits sold for $60, including instructions and shipping, consisted of a plastic hood that closed around the neck and, and tubing from the hood to a tank of helium or other inert gases that users would supply themselves. The San Diego County District Attorney, a party to the settlement, agreed not to prosecute Heidorn over any of the six known deaths in that county. Heidorn acknowledged selling the kits for 20 years under the brand name GLAD, G-L-A-D-D, which stands for Glorious Life and Dignified Death. Without screening people who ordered them, she insisted she made little money from the enterprise. Leslie DeMarco, a special agent in charge of the Internal Revenue Service, office in Los Angeles said, Heidorn was operating a for-profit business without regard to the identity of her clients, her current medical condition, or the federal tax laws. Oh, wait, this is the best part. <clears throat> Heidorn's lawyer, Charles Goldberg, said she never deposited payments from her customers and that FBI agents found hundreds of uncashed checks and envelopes of cash in her home. She was a committed person. I'm reading it right from the article. With strong beliefs that a person had a right to determine the quality of their life, particularly in the last days. Income she failed to report was mostly from her pension. There we go with the income. <laughs> Social security and rent from two small apartments. He said, Heidorn made headlines uh, Heidorn made headlines after one of her mail order customers in Oregon, Nicholas Klonowski, 29, used one of her kits to kill himself in December 20, 2010. His family said he was suffering from depression but was otherwise healthy. It was only for the terminally ill, she said. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I've only read about prosecution for tax evasion. 
Woe unto our nation when money is more important than human life. Woe, and this is not a new thing. We've seen this before. We had a conversation about this the other day. Jesus traveled um, to the Gadarenes. And there were two demon-possessed men there. And the scripture teaches us that the whole neighborhood was on lockdown. Nobody would go into a particular area of the neighborhood because they were afraid of these two demon-possessed men. Jesus comes on the scene and they freak out, the two demon-possessed men. They say, what are you here to do? Are you here to mess with us before our time has come, before the time is right? And they said, you know, send us, this demon-speaking, Send us into the pigs so that, you know, we'll we'll get out of here. And Jesus, with one word, said, no, uh, go. He said, go. That's all he said. The demons went into the pigs. The pigs ran into the water and died. Now, rejoice! Our two Gadarean men are free. Yay! We can walk through this part of town again. Jesus has given us back our neighborhood. That's not what happened. They went bananas. They did everything they could to get Jesus out of town. They hated him for what he did. Why? The pigs were more important. In this situation, the money is more important than the fact that a 29-year-old man who was completely healthy was given the means by which to commit uh, to kill himself. <laughs> That's disturbing, man. Is anybody outraged over that? Uh, by the way, she was charged as a misdemeanor. <laughs> misdemeanor. This the misdemeanor carries a maximum penalty of one year in jail and a one hundred thousand dollar fine. Prosecutor said they would recommend five years of supervised probation. And a fine at the low end of federal guidelines. Plus back taxes. They, they made sure they didn't forget that part. Plus back taxes. Plus back taxes. My God. We need to place our hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? There are a lot of silly things that we can place our hope in. I was reading Times Magazine yesterday. And there was a commentary where <clears throat> there was a man who was commenting on a, an, an article, the 12 things that Americans need to stop spending their money on, right? One of them <laughs> was the lotto. That is fantasy hope right there, baby, at its finest. Look, boss, the plane. Because you are now at Fantasy Island. The, the article further, further talked about that there is a better chance of you literally getting hit by a meteor from outer space on the planet than you actually hitting the lottery. The man said, and I quote, I didn't say this, for those of you who may be playing the lottery, I don't know, but the man said, it should be more accurately called the tax on the stupid. <laughs> it's rough. I didn't say that. It's in Times Magazine, okay? I didn't say that. But we can't place our hope in money. It's fallible. It'll be gone in an instant. It's just a means to an end. We can't place our hope in our careers because it can be gone 
in the next five minutes. We can't place um, our hopes and our dreams on what we think we can do for ourselves. I know there are a number of us who are really into working out and making sure that we, can, we, we have to avoid getting ill, you know. But cancer doesn't care how fit you are. And there's something like uh, literally about 12 million Americans diagnosed with cancer. Literally, I have the figures here. It's five fifty uh, five five million five hundred men, uh, six million four hundred and fifty women, as of t- uh, January two thousand eight. And yes, that includes the incredibly physically fit too. There are just some things you cannot avoid, and if you place your hope in weeder and working out and Nautilus and you know looking all beautiful, it's false fallible hope. In an instant, it can be gone. What does our world need to see and hear? They need to hear some of God's promises. Listen, as Christians, we believe that God's word is true. Amen? Let me say that again. We as Christians believe that God's word is true. Titus 1-2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Numbers 23 and 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall you eat? Or what shall you drink? Or what shall you wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Hallelujah. Colossians one twenty six twenty seven says the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. And I'm just going to end after just... One or two more minutes. Uh, Minister Al, I hope it's okay to share this. Minister Al had a dream, had a a prophetic dream recently. And uh, in this dream, he uh, saw many different television screens, right? Um, They may have been Samsung 60 inches. I don't know. (laughs) So, as it were, a, a, a giant wall of television screens... And they were all blank. And as he looked at the screens, now stop me if I get something wrong, because I want to tell it right. He, as he looked at the screens, he saw individually within each screen an image of a man. Right? So a multitude of television screens, and within each screen, an image of a man. And over the course of just a few moments, he began to see that image that was individually joined together so that across the multitude of television screens, there was one singular image of a man. Now you might be thinking, Brother Tony, Al's watching too much TV. (laughs) But check this out. Can it be that God is giving a message to Calvary Christian Fellowship that although we may be many different personalities, although we may be many different colors, many backgrounds, 
many different academic statuses. doesn't matter who we are because the world needs to see Jesus collectively in all of us. See, if we get it right, if we start to spread the hope that Jesus has given us, if we start to give people the testimony of, it doesn't take a whole lot to do God's work and God's will. All you have to do, it's so simple, just tell somebody what he's done for you. And then feed them with scripture. Give them the word of God, because the word of God does its own work. It will do the job all on its own. It really doesn't need your help. You just got to bring it, deliver it. We are the deliverers of hope. God has designed this thing so that we can bring the hope to people. He will not bring it to them himself. He's designed this thing for us to deliver. Will you be the mailman today? Will you bring the hope to this world who so desperately needs it? Will the world see that individual image in all of us? Because it won't matter who they look at, whether it's Minister Mickey, Deacon Dennis, Rochelle, Jenny, Eve Rose. It doesn't matter who they look at. Will they see Jesus in all of us? And that's what God is looking for. And God is looking for us to deliver the hope that he has designed for the entire world. Woe unto us if we harbor it to ourselves. Woe unto us if we deem money more important than the souls and the lost. Woe unto us if we um, deem our time and our energy too important or too precious to ourselves to lend it, to give it to somebody else, to give God's word to somebody else. <laughs>